Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The greater the length, while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. And silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Hi, I'm Melissa Hadley-Barrett and I designed the Penile Rehabilitation Program to help men recover from prostate cancer. It's an online program built on decades worth of knowledge and experience and practice. It's the only one of its kind in the world and it actually works. So if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer and want to get your penis working again as quickly as possible, and why wouldn't you, then visit penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you'll be off and running. And it only takes about 15 minutes a day. All the best with your recovery, which I promise will never be as bad as you think. November 11, 11 a.m., 60 seconds, kids. Welcome to the the Penis Project podcast. Today we have Mike the Determinator and Samantha the Bewitching Woman. Now we're going to find out why they're determined and bewitching shortly. They are a couple from America who wonderfully contacted me and said they had a story to share. So I'm very excited to meet you both today. Thank you so much for contacting us. Thank you for having us. That's great. So first up, it's always interesting because I think it's great for people to know how old you both are and how long you've been together for. Sure. I am 65 years old Mm -hmm. and she is almost 70. Right. Wow. You guys are in good shape. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have you been together a long time? We've been married for 45 years. Yep, that's a long time in anybody's. We're closer to 46. It's going, September will be 46. Great, okay. And so tell me about, and I know you've had your own health issues, Samantha. So what year did you get diagnosed with your prostate cancer? In 22, 2022. Yeah, prostate cancer was diagnosed early 2022 2022 yeah surgery and surgery in july of 22 and samantha you had endometrial cancer as well didn't you when was that i did i did what year did you get diagnosed with that the year of 22 oh but god you had a double whammy that year we did it was it was scary but we made it through and everybody's good she actually got uh, got diagnosed back late in September of 2021, and it ran over into 2022. She had yeah. her surgery in November 2021. So you are very determined then, because that both of those diagnoses are difficult to overcome from a sexual aspect. So they that's are. 
great. So tell us, tell us how you first felt when you when you got diagnosed and what you were thinking. Well, it was basically scary. I was actually standing in low in in Lowe's trying to pick up a few things, and I got a call from the doctor's office saying that I had endometrial cancer mm. and that she wanted me to see a specialist OBGYN. Mm-hmm. So I went from fi- finding out I had something going on one week, called the doctor on Monday, saw my my regular doctor on on Wednesday. She called me on Friday, told me I had the cancer. The next Tuesday, I was seeing an OBGYN for biopsies. And the, that coming Friday, next Friday after that, they had me set up for the coming Tuesday. So three weeks in a row, I saw a doctor and I was actually in the cancer doctor seeing them. And he was with me and she went to go and basically wanted to go look at her calendar so she could set up for surgery. And she said, when? I said, how about two or three weeks ago? She said, so you're in a hurry to do this. So within three weeks of that date, I have I had the surgery and you know got it done because I wasn't sure. I had about half of, my, of everything that had cancer in it. Yeah. Okay. And then Mike, when you got diagnosed, so how far down the track was Samantha? Were you with your treatment when Mike got diagnosed? Uh, he got diagnosed. I got diagnosed in April of 2022. Okay. She had she had radiation follow up radiation treatments just in case that January the, to March first. Yeah. Okay. Radio and. So I know that you were both, you had a very active sex life, didn't you, before all of this? We sure did. (laughs) Yeah. So just for interest, because, you know, it's a common question I get asked is how often should we be having sex? And I always say, well, it really depends on the couple and everybody's different. So how many times a week or a month were you having sex before you had all these diagnoses? Whenever we were freed up, no one around and just said let's go <laughs> so most days you were having sex yeah yeah you know i would say i would say that we were two to three times a week uh, yeah. i know you can always get the honest answer from the woman right yeah yeah that's right because <laughs> <laughs> there's things get in the way you know like grandchildren and kids and jobs and things so yeah that's exactly. it. and then did it change for you like did it did your sex life slow down after Samantha got diagnosed before you were diagnosed Mike like because of the treatment that must have put the kibosh on things for a while yeah it put the it it definitely put the kibosh on it because she was going to have to undergo the radiation treatments mm. and after she had the surgery and then as she was coming out of those radiation treatments afterwards after she would have been cleared about that time, they found in her scans, in her abdominal scans, they found some residual silicone where she had had the breast surgeries from, from 30 years ago. Wow. And she was diagnosed with fibrocystic breast disease in her early 30s. Okay. And so they decided at that point to do the Angelina Jolie surgery before, probably before Angelina Jolie was born as yes. what we think. And so anyway, they decided to go ahead and do that back then. And so anyway, some of this residual silicone had leaked out and they had found that. So that was right on the heels of her being 
cleared for everything. And where and was that? Where was that in your body? In the breast. Right. It, okay. They, so they found they it in, in a chest cavity. Yeah. So did you have to have those implants removed and then new ones put back in? I did. That was actually my third set of implants. Right. I received my first in, you know, 30 years ago. And seven years after that, I had the one of the implants to actually have a leak. But I had the implants where it was not the saline. It was just the gel and mm -hmm. everything stayed there. But I had to have those replaced seven years later. And then they lasted until just... 2022 and I had to have those replaced because of it but the reason they checked my breast was because of the cancer they didn't know if maybe I might have had cancer in my breast yeah so okay. they needed to make sure there wasn't something there too so that's how they found instead of finding cancer they found residual uh, silicone yeah which they removed it looked like suspicious but it took took quite a few it took about three different tests to finally get to where they were positive it wasn't cancer and it definitely had to have the implants removed mm -hmm. in place. so did you resume a normal sex life between your surgery samantha and your diagnosis mike uh, i would say that we didn't resume our normal sex life because our emotional status was not exactly to par yeah of course you probably you had so much else on your on track that that was the last thing you were thinking about I imagine yeah because really it was right on the heels of her finishing radiation when yeah. she had the mastectomies when she had the new implants installed yeah okay and then you were diagnosed and then how did you feel then you must have felt like you just got over one hurdle and it was on with the next we I was looking so forward just to getting back into our normal lives. I think we both were. And yeah. then's when I went to my GP and noticed that the PSA level had gone from a three to about a five. Mm -hmm. And through a digital rectal exam, it was she felt a nodule. Yeah. And at that point, she sent me over to the urologist who eventually did the biopsies. Yeah. And the biopsies returned a Gleason of a four plus three. So it was not the best diagnosed at that time that I could get. No. And so then you overheard. Now, this is an interesting story. And I think for all the health professionals listening, this is really important. You overheard a conversation, didn't you, at the urology office between the nurses? I did. I did. It was the appointment where they were the first urologist was just going to do another digital rectal exam. And and find out if he needed to go ahead and do some biopsies. And I was sitting in the room and when he went up to get the biopsy scheduled and I overheard the nurses just outside the door, there was nothing being hidden. And they were talking about someone having to have, you know, male castration. And I didn't even, I'd never heard that term before. And I was just sitting in there thinking, man, I, I hate it for that guy, whoever they're talking about. And they talked about, you know, having to schedule this. And so when my nurse came back into the room to let me know when the biopsy would be, that's when I asked her, I said, hey, what were y'all talking about out there as far as male castration? What is that? She says, well, the where your nodule is. And, and I said, y'all were talking about me? And well, you know, we were just talking about possibilities and where your nodule is is pretty serious and it could be outside of the cavity. And I said, well, explain this to me. I said, does that mean like cutting my testicles out? 
And she said, no, they don't do that anymore. She said, it'd be more like either a shot or a pill. Mm. And it's called ADT treatments, androgen de deprivation treatments. Yeah, that's right. I yeah. And I said, so what happens during ADT? And, and I want to be real careful in talking about this because I want to be respectful of people out there who have had to have ADT mm. because I was I, I was just learning about it in a shock syndrome there for, for myself. Yeah. And so I said, well, listen, I, I don't want any part of that. I said, what's going to happen? They said, well, you'll probably lose a lot of your sex drive. And they explained that the testosterone was would make the cancer more active and that this was a way to cut down on the testosterone and hopefully slow cancer down. And then she said, Oh, but you know, hopefully this is just benign and and you won't have to have any of this. And I was just sitting there in total shock. Yeah, yeah. Very unfortunate, I think, when health professionals aren't careful about what they say, because it's often worse getting half the story than the full story, isn't it? Like exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a message to everybody. And then you had decided after overhearing that conversation, really, that you would prefer to have surgery rather than radiation. Is that correct? We uh, actually had a call within about three or four days from yeah. the surgeon's office from Alliance Urology, and they indicated that their main surgeon had, you know, had an opening on his schedule to be able to see us yeah. for a consult. And so we went on over real quickly for that consult. Yeah. And he, he explained to us, he said, you know, we can take care of this where this is, you know, it's, it's not that big a deal. And he said, you know, it is serious, but, but, you know, we've caught this early enough. He said, even with a four plus three and where it's located at, you know, we could take care of it. And, and did you at that time express to the surgeon that actually your sex life was really important to you? Because I think, unfortunately, a lot of, of, health professionals just assume once you get to a certain age you're not interested and sometimes you have to actually wave the flag and say yeah I'm still interested I actually <laughs> to my wife's chagrin I actually told him I said hey we've got a very active sex life yeah and we don't want we don't we don't want to lose that sure. and so I let him know you know from reading on the internet and everything I, I I found that to be a very important fact to discuss with the doctor up front yeah. And so we did let him know that. And he was very sensitive to that. He was very, mm -hmm. very thoughtful of that. And he said, hey, you know, I've done a bunch of these nerve sparing surgeries. And he explained nerve sparing to me. And he said, I, I really think in your situation that I can at least spare one of the nerves. Yeah. And what he explained as a unilateral nerve spare. So isn't so, that great that he was so, you know, open to making sure you had a good quality of life after? Absolutely. He, he was the, the whole practice was really other than hearing, you know, the information that I heard in the other office to begin with, which was not in this same office. Yeah. Other than hearing that everything was just handled so professionally and caring. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, let's give you the best chance at this we can. And I did ask him, I said, how many of these have you done? Because mm -hmm. I also heard that that was a good question to ask. He said, well, I'm over over 1,500 now of the of the operations, and he said about three quarters of those have been nerve spares. Yeah, that's and right. I, I said, well, that's good. That that is that's good by me. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then, 
suddenly, just a couple of days before you were due to have surgery, you ended up getting an appointment with a radio oncologist, didn't you? And that, that kind of threw a spanner in the works. At that same consult yeah. meeting with the surgeon, he also set up that oncology meeting, but they were so backed up in the office that they didn't have any appointments available until about the somewhere about the 12th of July or something like that. And I was scheduled to go in the 14th and have the surgery done. So I was already, yeah, I was already prepping Mm -hmm. for uh, the surgery, like starting four days before. And they called us two days to the, from the surgery. And and they did a Zoom meeting for the oncologist and Samantha was in the room with me. And to be fair, she got really upset with me because I started listening to the oncologist and he was explaining the seeding process that they could use, the radiation seeds. And he said, now, is your sex life really important to you guys? And I said, absolutely. I said, really, we're prioritizing that right up top. And he said, well, I can give you very similar outcomes to what the surgeon has promised you. And with radiation seedings, in this way, you won't lose you know, full urinary control and you'll still retain your sex life. Mm. And I was totally confused. I was going to say that. The thing, I really the thing I didn't hear from the surgeon, from, from the radiation surgeon, was with the with the seedings, nobody's going in to take the cancer out. It wouldn't be gone totally, and it would also mean a couple of different things if we were to get a sex sex life back, but it would still have some more danger to it down the road. Yeah. So, you know, when the our, the regular surgeon said he could take it totally out, that was, to me, a whole lot safer. Yeah. And that was ultimately the decision you made. I imagine that was a hard couple of days trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. Being as I was in the middle of prepping for it already, it really it really confused me. And and, and I didn't help him because it, he kind of felt like maybe now I was over to the side instead of right beside him. But I was trying to be beside him and let him know that getting it out is is was a bigger point to bring yeah. out. And I will say that the surgeon, the, the robotic surgeon did say if I did any other types of treatment, it would make it next to impossible to go back and have surgery after the fact, after any radiation treatments or the seeding treatments. Yeah. So that that ultimately was the kicker. And, you know, because it was, I can say the sex life was our priority, but I can honestly say, you know, getting rid of the cancer obviously has to be your top top priority. priority. Yeah, of course, because you can't have sex if you're in a coffin. (laughs) <laughs> exactly well maybe you can but not if so you went ahead and had the surgery and I'm assuming and am I correct in saying Samantha at this stage you're just tonking along healing from your treatments I was still healing but you know the the biggest thing I was there for him was you know we just had to I had to help him just have patience and that it was going to take time. He was thinking he was going to be through with everything around, you know, a couple months. And it was because, because we've heard, talked to people who was doing a lot better after a few months. Mm. And in that case, he thought he was going to be one too, but you know, we're, and he's still healing now, but he's tons better. Mm. And we're having a, you know, we're not having any problems being able to, you know, have, have a sex life. 
So tell me then, Mike, so what did happen in a nutshell? So you got your prostate out and were you aware that it would take up to two years for things to, to be fully back to healing as good as they're going to get? You were told yeah, that? It was, very, it was very clearly, the surgeon was very clear and concise with that. He said, uh, everyone's different. And he said, even with urinary control, every, every case is different. And he did say, give me the 18 months to two years to be able to maximize any erection status. But he told me that they had things they could take care of that with. And we just needed to be open with him as he'd be open with us. And sounds like a wonderful clinic you went to. Like yeah, it, it sounds incredible. like they were very holistic and, you know, covered all bases for you. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it, the, the surgeon's name is Dr. Lester Borden at Alliance Urology in Greensboro, North Carolina. Right. And, but along with him, I will say that their physio department were champions. They were, Deborah, my, my physio, has just been with us. We still see her every month, even though urinary control has come back in to a realistic process here and the sex life is, you know, really never better as far as we're concerned. And because we do, we appreciate it so much more. Yes. Even though, so tell me about that. How long did it where are you at now? So you're just over, so you had it done in July. 2022, is that right? Yeah, July 2022 was when the surgery was done. Yeah, so and not even a year post-op yet. So how, what, where are you at now with your erections? Well, erections, the, as far as a natural erection, I can only get probably about 60 or 70%. Don't say only. Them. That's amazing for someone only. <laughs> good, good. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad to know. And, you know, the, the, the funny thing is, is that when I'm standing up and get excited, the, the erection tends to be decent, not, a, not enough to use it. But when I get off my feet, is when or that tends, down. yeah, or laying down, that tends to go, go away. You and tell me to explain so, why that happens. Well, one, my, my general practitioner has said since then, and the cardiologist that I see says that when you're standing up, you have gravity flow exactly. from, from your heart and, and it goes down that way. He said, it's only, uh, it, it, it only makes sense exactly. that that would be happening now. Yeah, the other thing that happens is when you get an erection, the blood goes in from the arteries and out through the veins and the veins can get kind of a bit lazy and floppy. So they're supposed to like squeeze off and hold the blood in the shaft of your penis. But, you know, whilst the nerves aren't giving all its messages it should be and as we age a bit, they get a bit kind of loose. So it's a bit like having a leaky bucket. The blood's going in or the water, but there's a slight hole at the bottom and it's dripping back out. So you may have already tried this, but a lasso is an excellent thing. So you stand up, get the erection to the best you can, then pop a lasso on and it'll just trap the blood in so that the blood can't flow back out when you change position. Well, I'll tell you how we've handled that. Yeah, uh, we, have we, didn't have the, we didn't have the neat little device you had, but at the urology office very early on, since they knew that our sex life was a priority for us, Mm -hmm. They offered us the opportunity for a vacuum erection device. Excellent. And, and so I can't tell you the name of that because it's I, I can't remember exactly the name of that device right now, but it was a medical grade device, which was yeah. you know, told we were told that was the best thing to do. 
And so we were provided that. And then it comes with the constriction rings that we Excellent. load onto the cone. Yeah. And then once, once I get the erection up with the vacuum erection device and those rings pop on, I think they do what your lasso there does. Exactly. And, it does exactly the same thing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So after, after a couple of weeks, when that showed up in the mail and we were able to take advantage of it, it was as one of your previous clients has, has spoken on the podcast, one of your previous guests, he said the heavens opened. And <laughs> when he said that, I understood exactly what he said. You know, yes. I thought, wow, you know, this was a dream to get back to this point. Now I can handle the urinary problems because I know that our sex life is back. Yeah. And so within a couple of weeks after that, I started not being able to maintain the erection with the constriction ring. So I went back to the book again and, and in the instruction book, it said, hey, if you have trouble maintaining an erection, use the next size ring up and load two rings onto the cone. Yeah. And when it, and then it pops two rings on and that was the magic. And that is the magic that happened then and still happens now. So that was an incredible hack for us to, to find for the vacuum erection device. Just before I interviewed you today for the podcast, I interviewed a man who's invented this new type of cock ring, actually, called a Fermatech. And it looks really interesting. It's pretty new out, but you hook it on a bit like a bra at the base of the erection. And you can, like, if you fall asleep with it on, it doesn't cause any damage because it still lets the arterial flow go in, but the venous flow go out, but it's helpful for these things. So that's an exciting space. Watch this space, I think. That, that's probably something. And they're getting one out as well that has a little vibrator on it, which is good for the women, Samantha. So I'll have wow. to yeah. send you the link about those when I've got them, when they're available, but they're really exciting. That, so that's you decided then that you were going to go and try injections as well, didn't you? And you did that through your clinic. And how did that go for you? It went really well. And and, and the reason we decided that the, the vacuum erection device for that first couple of weeks, like I said, was working. And then all of a sudden I couldn't hold the erection with the, with the ring. Mm -hmm. And that's when immediately I said, we got to look for another solution here because for some reason it's not working. So I had that appointment set up for the injection therapy and Whenever I was thinking about the the vacuum erection device, and I thought in the process of having that appointment set up, I read the book about the two rings. Yeah. So I already had the appointment set up when I found out the two rings would work. But yeah. I was anxious to go ahead and try, since I had been listening to your podcast, I wanted to go ahead and try the injection therapy. And as we said, that puts another tool in our arsenal is what we described it as. Yeah. So... We went and how ahead. did it go? Like, did you find it worked well? Did you find it was easy to do? How did you find it? Well, in the office, I think I was like most guys. I was very nervous. Yeah. And the the gentleman who taught me to do it at Alliance, he was very good with it. He said, don't worry about this. I've helped 1,500, 1,600 people do this. Yeah. He said, this is no sweat. And he said, it'll only be as hard as you make it. And so I said, well, that's kind of what I want to do is make it hard. So you're as hard as you want it. <laughs> exactly. So, so he, he gave me a, a like a 0.2 mil dose that day and, and it worked immediately as far as, you know, bringing some erection there. And 
since then we've gone up to 0.5 and what we do we use this now i'd say once every couple of weeks just as as entertainment value to do something different yeah and, and so you, we're up at 0.5 so samantha do you find that the erection feels different whether it was if you were to compare one with the double ring as opposed to the injection as opposed to what it was like before it's definitely a little different it's not as firm as when you use the pump in the rings but oh, it that's feels, interesting you find the pump it, in the rings a better erection than the injection we we have come across that the the pump for us is is exactly perfect we have no problems and you know it, it just works beautifully but it took it took trial and error getting it to where we he could get it you know to what it needs what the the pump needs to get it out get the penis out to and, mm -hmm. and put the rings on and it's worked beautifully that's our more go-to than any other but the other is just something we don't we don't want to lose the ability to have that that option especially if we were we go on vacation or down at the beach together and stuff just us it's just another another source yeah it's great it sounds like next time you go back to the clinic just talk to them about upping the dose a bit more so that it can be harder with the injection yeah what we're finding is that with the injection the the head of the penis doesn't get as hard yeah. and doesn't get as sensitive doesn't get as firm as firm that's correct and then with the vacuum erection device, I can kind of control that. And I know it's you're supposed to be very careful not to do it, not to use the vacuum erection device until it hurts. But just, I say, just a little uncomfortable is okay. And that's my limit. Yeah. Once it gets a little bit uncomfortable, that's when I put the rings on. And, yeah. and then that stiffens up the situation. Yeah, that sounds great. And did you find, are you able to have an orgasm without an erection? Have you been doing that as well before we found those solutions mm -hmm. uh, i was able to have that and that was very surprising to me as i've heard a lot of your podcast guests indicate it is surprising i know the first time i learned that i was surprised i was like wow how does this happen like it's hard to imagine isn't it albeit a little bit more difficult uh, as far as that goes but. yeah it's just not as easy to get the stimulation like that and Samantha, what about you? Have you got any residual vaginal pain or anything from all these treatments you've had? I do have one area that it has a residual part. I have to use the dilators in order to, because they said down the road, I wouldn't be able to have rectal exams to be followed up and checked on. Vaginal exams. Vaginal yeah. exams. Sorry about that. Right. I have vaginal exams. But then they told us also that your spouse can also be the dilator. So since he's been back in commission, that has helped a lot. Yeah, that's great. And so do you have any pain or if you use lubricant, it's all okay? We do use the KY gel and I have been very blessed. I've had no pain. Wow, that's great. One thing that has really helped us Melissa is, is she is very understanding in allowing me to get some excitement going by looking at some more erotic stories on the internet and that thing is sometimes while she's using a dilator or whatever to kind of get ready I'll be reading my material and so it, to us it's a routine that we've gotten into that we really enjoy and so it's been a great experience you know for 
some hardships along the way, it's turned out to be a lot of positives. And do you feel like you've kind of opened up your sexual repertoire since this has happened? Because you've tried things you probably wouldn't have tried before because you wouldn't have needed to. Definitely, yes. And I have been more, more than blessed for these 45 years to have a partner like her, for sure. Yeah, it sounds like, I think that's the big thing is, you know, being open to mixing up the script and trying new things and not just going, oh, it's all too hard or not hard, so we just give up, you know, that's about persevering. Well, and one of the things that helps us the most too was everything I went through, he was there and listened to the doctors and asked his questions. And when we found out he had cancer, you know, I went for every visit also, and I still go to whenever he goes, I go with him just so I can learn what this is about. Cause it, it was, it was scary. It was different. I didn't know whether this was, he's just filling me in on things, which he normally doesn't, but mm -hmm. you know, I just wanted to hear the doctor say it. So I knew what we tried and what we were doing was appropriate, was the right thing to do. And it, puts it more at ease when you go back home because then you both can communicate and talk about what the doctor said and it kind of helped us remember I remembered some things he might have forgotten and vice versa you know so that it, it's kind of out there it's open we're and we're communicating four to, years better than to two. relax us <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I always like if patients have a partner, I love it if they bring their partner along because also we hear different things, you know, like mm -hmm. we take in and concentrate on different things. And it's so good, love as you it. say, to have four ears there listening to what's going on. And I think also for your partner to understand how important it is, if you don't use it, you lose it. So there's can be some, you know, combination in that. that and And even for you, Samantha, you found the same. If you weren't using the dilators or having regular sex, you would lose that ability for having things in your vagina as well, and which is even a long-term health implication. So you can have more tests. It is. It is. But it's the fear of the unknown that you don't know about. So you need to, you know, I suggest, you know, I recommend all partners go together yeah. and hear what they say. And 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 I didn't ask too many questions starting out but then I got a little more understanding so I was able to ask things and then when I went home I didn't think we, I didn't feel I felt more relaxed with 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 everything and helped him try to realize it was going to take patience because even right after surgery those first two months or so you know he was just in left field because he was anxious, he was nervous, he was wanting it to get better. And I says, it can't if you keep yourself, you know, up in this, this kind of state of being unhappy, nervous, scared. I said, if you don't relax, it can't heal. Yep. And, yes. and I will say that's a perfect segue because one thing, I, if, if you don't mind, I would like to speak to the depression aspect of it. Yeah, I've heard it mentioned. Yeah, I've heard it mentioned a couple of times on your podcast and, and believe me, thank you for the podcast because while, while out walking, which is the main therapy for those first few weeks after robotic surgery, robotic prostate surgery, that is, there's only one thing you can do and that's listen to things and try to find information and Alliance Urology had actually provided me a paper that had your website and the penis project 
podcast listed on it. So that's how I found out about it to start his, with. His therapist, Deborah, gave it to him. Yeah. That's and, right. Yeah. And so while, while I was out walking and listening to these things, you know, I was at least getting some information, but I was so, I was so depressed. I mean, for the first three to four weeks, and I was going through pad after pad after pad and just soaking them. And, and I thought, well, I can't really have a productive sex life. Even if we figure out, even if we figure the erections out, I can't have it. I'm just, I'm just urinating too much. And I got so depressed that I was walking down the street and I decided, I said, you know what? I don't know if I even want to live anymore. Mm. And it was, it was incredible for me to have that feeling. And I thought, where did this come from? And while I wasn't acting out on the suicidal thought, the thought that I had it, that I had that thought scared me. And when I got back home that particular day, I just broke down to her and said, you know, this is what's going on. And I don't even feel like living right now. I feel like my life is destroyed. And I know that is short-sighted because a lot of people will maybe hear this and, and be in a lot more serious situations than I ever was, but your mind is your mind. And if you have those thoughts, you have those thoughts. You can't necessarily control them at the time, but with her guidance and with opening up to the doctors and everything, that that just got better. Fortunately, in my case, it got better, but I have read and I have heard that, you know, that they have to be real careful with patients in this particular predicament because once you start losing something that you've had all your life, and in this case, the, the thought of losing the sex life forever, mm. just totally depressed me. And I knew that if I didn't get the urine under control, that I had very little chance of, mm. of getting that back in control. Yeah. And I think you're not alone at all, Mike. I think like, well, the statistics show that depression and prostate cancer, you know, are really closely linked. And I think you know, you can always say there's someone else in a worse situation, but it's all relative to you. And it's a very big thing to lose that ability to be intimately connected with another person, particularly when you've been doing that actively all this time. So, And one of the things that did help us was when he was just reading about medicines that you could take, mm -hmm. you know, if he wanted to go to the doctor to get them, you know, some of the medicines themselves counteract what you try to do like taking the the viagra or or you know whatever it slows down being able to have an erection so you know there again that kind of made him more calmer and and wanting to work with it rather than slowing down what he's trying to accomplish and what she's talking about is the antidepressants and yeah yeah Sorry. i was I was, I was prescribed one. And at that point, it, 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 it kind of, it didn't help anything for, mm -hmm. for me. It didn't help the sex life part of it. Even when I started using the vacuum erection device. So once I, once I stopped taking them, because I, I read, I read on the internet, I said, I'm having trouble having an orgasm now. And, and at least I was able yeah, to have an orgasm. And so once I read that about it being a side effect of a lot of antidepressants yeah. I stopped taking it and it's like within a day or two it it, it cleared my system 
There is some antidepressants that don't affect your orgasm, but a lot do. And I think you have to be really careful because, you know, you can get prescribed an antidepressant because you're depressed and then you go and get something else to be depressed about, which is that you can't have an orgasm or it affects your erections even worse and things like that. So, yeah, I think you're right. It's like you can't just put a Band-Aid on that bit. You've got to look back to why are you depressed? And the reason you were depressed is because understandably you were leaking urine and your erectile function was crappy. And so the solution to your depression was fixing both of those things, not taking a pill that might make it worse. So, and I mean, I think antidepressants are amazing invention and they have their place, but you just have to be really careful that you're not counteracting in your situation and making your situation worse rather than better. Exactly. And another thing about the, my physio Deborah, and this is off the subject of the antidepressants now, Mm But I started about after about two or three months, I said, Deborah, I'm I'm getting dry now. You know, do I need to keep seeing you? And by that time, Samantha had been with me so many times that she said, oh, no, no, you need to keep seeing her. You need to keep seeing her. So she became. He just wasn't there yet. And with his exercises and stuff, and she's had to kind of correct him and get him back on track. And that helped. And I knew keep seeing her would keep him even pushing harder like he always would if he knows he's going back to be checked. Yeah, it's so true. If you've got to be accountable to someone, you're much more likely to do your homework. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The exercise, the exercises are important. And one thing I learned on the podcast and I shared with my physio, I kept hearing you guys mention the ultrasound yeah. and seeing how the pelvic floor works. And so I told my physio Deborah this and in their office they don't have an ultrasound but she had a friend who had an ultrasound and so we made a private appointment and she went with me to this private appointment and they did the ultrasound while I was doing the exercises and and showed me okay you're not getting this muscle contracted right here and once I saw it once I saw it on the screen and then I could do it it made a lot of sense. My goodness, I've been doing the exercises not up to their potential all this time. And I think that ultrasound experience actually helped me turn the corner. Yeah, oh, I think it's it's life-changing being able to see what you're doing because it's such an arbitrary thing, pelvic floor or Kegel exercises, isn't it? Because you can't see it. You know, there is one way of knowing whether you're doing it right as a man without an ultrasound, which is stand naked in front of the mirror and do them and you'll see your penis wiggle up and down and then you go, oh, I'm doing the right one. But it is really great to see it with an ultrasound. And by me going with him, I was able to watch and see what they were teaching him in order for me to help him say, no, you're not doing that right because I, I could hold, put my place my hand on his stomach or on his side or wherever I needed to and I could help him know all right and then he got it down pat and he's like I said it just turned the corner immensely well you guys I it's fantastic that you contacted me to be on here today because it is so good to hear some good stories and unfortunately most of the people who have contacted us from the U.S. to speak have had not great stories so it's so nice for me to hear someone who's having a positive recovery and it sounds like you've got an amazing physio and like urology team that have been really supportive which is great 
Well, one of the things that we really want to recommend for other people is Mike has had to be his own advocate big time in this. And he has read everything he could about it to learn about what he needs, what goes on, what is about. And he knew what questions to ask the doctor and what he did want to do and what he didn't, if possible. But you've got to really push it because the doctors need to fill in all this information about the pump and, and the, the, the shots and all this. And the, before the surgeries, seeing, he did see Deborah before the surgeries and it made a huge difference. So he kind of had an idea, yeah, this is going to take some time. She helped with that. But then, you know, the more they learn prior to and as you go along, that's great. But if he hadn't asked a lot of questions, we might not be where we are. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Saw, we were, we were, we wanted to move forward. We were not going to sit still. And that's where I became known as the determinator. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I would love you guys to contact me again when you're two years post-op and interview you again, because it would be great to see where you've gone. Like you think about how far you've come in 11 months. Imagine how far you will have come in another you know, 13 months. It'd be so great to hear how you're going at the end of the two years. And I'm assuming your PSA is all good, Mike? Yeah, so far it's been what he considers undetectable levels. And he said there will always be minute traces because the, the tests they use for them now are so sensitive. Mm. So, but they are tracking that. And so far, so good on that. And we'll continue to have those every six months and for the first couple of years and then move on to maybe annual after that for the next few years. And if that stays in check, then, you know, we can, we can move on, but I'm thankful to be where I am. Can I ask you one question? Have you talked about this with your friends? Like, do your friends, like, have you talked to them about how you've gone and like that your sex life is important to you? Or is this something that you keep kind of close to your chest normally? As far as what we're doing, and how we're achieving that. I don't talk outside the home about that, but people have asked me about the sex life. And, and I say, hey, you know, the doctor promised me that he would do all he could do. And that part of it has been restored and I'm thankful for it. And so that's kind of the direction I go in. Now, a couple of people have asked me who have recently had the prostate surgery because my name's been put on a list to be able to speak to people as, right. as a mentor for them. Yeah. And the thing I have found out, obviously, is every case is different. Everyone doesn't leak for two to three months like I did. No. And some people come off and, and don't leak, you know, within a week after having the surgery. So that's what I have learned. But they've all asked me about the sexual aspect. And I said, get with Deborah and get yourself a vacuum erection device then yeah. get with larry and talk about penile injections and when i say the penile injections that's when they look at me like i have just stepped off the face of the planet <laughs> yeah. and once once i explain it to them then they say oh and, and you know what happens is it gives them hope and that's what deborah had gave me early on in the process is she gave me hope. And even though while I was depressed, she had already given me hope, but I just wasn't seeing any of the action yet. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I try to do with others now is to say, hey, it can get better. Mm 
it, and it will get better. And there are devices to give you an erection no matter what. And partially while we were not having sex because it was too early and he wasn't ready, he would, you know, he, he learned, he was taught to use the pump to, you know, for blood flow and stuff, you know, just not really having sex, but getting, getting the blood flow going in gradually. Yeah, very important. Building that up. For well, the, the nocturnal pump. erections. Yeah, right. perfect. Yeah, keep him healthy. Well, yeah. look, I think you guys are an inspiration to a lot of people. So I can't thank you enough for contacting me and letting me interview you today. And as I say, I'd love to speak to you guys again in 12 months time and find out how you're going at the end of your recovery period. Certainly. Well, we thank you and the PNS Project for having all the podcasts because I know you get thanked, you know, time after time from, from your listeners and from even the people coming on the program, but it, it truly has made a difference. And I was so thankful that Alliance Urology made that and Deborah made that podcast available to me because that in and of itself is a lot of good material. And that's what mm -hmm. people are needing to hear is stories from guys who have been through it. In yeah, this case, I, agree. I hopefully think the experience is so powerful listening to other people instead of just health professionals. And Samantha has had to recover herself and through, you know, her situation and, you know, now she's back alive and well with everything too. So just get checked. People just get checked. You both look great. You both look healthy and well. You'd never know. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you again so much for being on the show. going to tell you about a boy lives inside me it's been there all of my life hi i'm melissa and i hope you enjoyed the podcast this week just a reminder if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer i've built a penile rehabilitation program just for you it's an online program packed with information exercises and advice along with proven strategies that will get your penis back in working order as quickly as possible in about 15 minutes a day if you like the sound of that, then please head over to penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you can start straight away. Or there's a link from the RS Health website. We would also love you to review and subscribe and share this podcast so we can help more men. Links to Instagram and Facebook are in the show notes. We look forward to seeing you there. So spread the word that help is available. All the best for now. Bye. I've got a boy of my own now It fills me with pride See him growing so fast into a man His victories become mine I cry his tears